Well, good morning. Welcome to our winter break. <laughs> Feels like that, doesn't it? Sorry. Not my fault, but sorry. Um, we are doing a two-week series following Easter, and uh, part of this was uh, designed, the, the two-week series is called Identity. And part of it is, is because last week we just celebrated the resurrection of Christ and the difference that that makes in our world and in our lives. But one of the things that we struggle with, and we'll get into this this morning, is what does that look like for you and I? To live that out, to know that our identity is wrapped up in Christ. What does that make us? Who are we in Christ? And then second, how do we live that out? And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to explore that together. And so I don't know how you got here today. Maybe you're on break. I saw some friends who are here from Colorado who used to be a part of our church family and it's spring break. And so we have visitors here. We have others who are gone. Many who are watching online just want to say thanks for joining us online. I know that one of our dear saints, Betty German, uh, she went into the hospital this week. She is doing well, but I heard that she is going to be trying to watch us online. So Betty, we love you. We're praying for you. And, uh, and so... I just want us to pause and ask God to speak to us this morning and say, what, what is it that we need to hear from him as he speaks to our spirit as to who we are in Christ? So will you just bow your heads and in a moment of silence, let's just prepare ourselves for the message. The grass withers and the flower fades, but your word endures forever. And so, God, as we engage in the text today, Lord, it's not my words, it's yours. And I pray that you would help them to just come alive. The truth that we know in our head, that we comprehend, Lord, would become reality in our hearts today. That we would experience the truth of your word today when it comes to our identity in Christ. And God, whatever is of me today, I just pray that we would just forget it, that it would fall to the ground. But if there's something that's from you today that you would have for each and every one of us, that you would whisper that into our lives and that it would challenge us, it would convict us, it would bring change to who we are and that we would leave here confident in our identity because of the work of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I know that it is spring break, and so we have several people who are on vacation, who are joining us online, who are at the beach, on their iPads, and so for their sake, I wanted to just have an image as we get into the text today, something for them to remember while they're enjoying their time on the beach. So I'm praying that this will just, like, they'll, they'll take this in and experience just something this week. Here's the image. Yeah, let that soak in for a minute. Enjoy your time on the beach this week. I don't know if you've ever seen this or seen images like this. They're called dog shaming. Does anybody here, have you seen these images? Right. I love these because there isn't a dog that doesn't look guilty even if you just ask a question like, did you do that? My son, my son got home a couple weeks ago. 
He videotaped it for us, but he came home and my lab had the top of the trash can stuck over his head. <laughs> he was like, what did you get into today? You know, just the shame and the guilt that comes over these. Uh, there, there's some other pictures that we've got too. My family booked a vacation that didn't include me, so I ate their credit card. <laughs> My name is Dory, and I killed Summer. There's the beach ball. I'm sure the children were quite upset over that. And if you're hesitant about ever getting a dog, this might put you over the edge to say, yeah, that'll never happen. I ate the wall instead of my food. <laughs> he doesn't look too happy, does he? <laughs> that might be the look he has all the time. I'm not sure. <laughs> But I am glad that uh, when it comes to my mistakes, when it comes to my failures, when it comes to things that I have done, I am so glad that nobody puts a sign around my neck where I have to tell people the shame and the guilt of the things that I have done. But you know what the truth is? Is that every single one of us has an invisible sign, don't we? We have things that we identify ourselves with that we see ourselves through the lens of, that has to deal with the shame and the guilt of things that we have done or things that we have not done, of how we could have been better. And so we view ourselves through that sign or with that sign around our necks, and it's an invisible sign. We love to put on the facade, we love to try to pretend that we're somebody else. But if you're like me, and I struggle with this, when Pete first told me that I was gonna do this message, I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> really, thank you, because I struggle with this. I have my whole life with this idea that my identity is something else, that this view of myself, and sometimes I probably walk around looking like this, but... Uh, looking like this dog, just in shame. And so when I have conversations with others, they say things to me that aren't accusatory, but I see them that way. They make comments of who I am, my personality, my looks, whatever, and I take that so deeply because I see myself differently with a different identity than what most people see me as. And so I struggle with this this identity of who it is that I am. And I think many of us do. We walk around with an invisible sign of our guilt and our shame. It could be addictions that nobody knows about, that you know you wrestle with, the sins that you fall into every day, but if people only knew, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with you. It could be the broken relationships that you once were married and now you're not. And even though somebody walks up to you that you haven't seen in years, they might know, they might not know. But as soon as you see them in the marketplace, the store, that, that sense comes over you of, of, of fear of don't ask. Because you see yourself wrapped up into that, into, into that experience. And you see yourself as being a person who is broken, a person who has failed financially, Perhaps it's bankruptcy, perhaps it's job loss, the inability to provide for your family and you see yourself with that identity. For some of us, it's a physical illness or maybe it's something physical about the way we look. 
I really can't do much about my hair. Like that's just a reality. And for some of us, it's things like that that, that, we, that we deal with, we wrestle with. And when we see others, we see ourselves differently. We, we take on that identity and that shame. For some, it's a mental illness that we identify with. And so we see ourselves through that lens of depression. I know that this is something that many people wrestle with. Children's Hope Chest, uh, many of you are sponsoring children in Ethiopia, but if you were here for the Heart for the World event, you heard the story of how Children's Hope Chest began as a nonprofit organization. They went into Russia after the walls came down and kind of communism was up in the air and things were changing and they went in and they, they realized that orphans in Russia, children were identified very early on as an orphan and they were marked at a certain level as to how bad their situation was. So you're an orphan, but you're gonna make it or you're an orphan and you're a level one. You live in such poverty and there's really no chance. Maybe there's a physical or mental illness, a challenge that you face. And for the rest of their lives, they carry around a card that's their ID. And they can be 45, 60 years old. And on their card, it still identifies them as an orphan level three. And they wanted to change that identity. The church wanted to go in and go, that's not who you are. And this morning, that is one of the questions. Is it possible for you and I, is it possible for us to, to know that that sign that hangs around your neck and mine, is it possible that God could remove that? That that lens in which you see yourself could radically change and that who you are and your identity and your value and your worth looks different for you? I think it's possible. You see, I see in scripture, from all the way through scripture, from Genesis chapter one, where God creates humanity in his image, imago Dei, in the image of God. No other creation, nothing else in the universe is created by God the way we are created. With God's image stamped on us. With a spirit, a soul that he breathes into humanity. He did that because he values us. He values our relationship with him. And throughout the rest of scripture, after the fall in Genesis 3, after the fall, throughout the rest of scripture, you have story after story after story of how God is desperately reaching out in relentless tenderness to draw people back to himself. And then in Christ, we have the answer where Jesus pays the price for our guilt, our shame, our sin. And he pays the price by dying to that on the cross. And then he rises again that those who believe in him would have new life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the old is gone, the new has come. There's something historically that has changed because of the resurrection. And then throughout the rest of scripture, all the way through Revelation, and in Revelation, you have the hope and the promise, the future, that God is going to restore, reconcile the world unto himself, and that we will spend eternity together with him. Man, that's value. The fact that all of scripture is a story 
of God's value of humanity means that we should see ourselves differently than we do. That there is a hope and there is a promise that we can not only receive God's value in our lives, but we can live differently because of it. And if there's nothing else you get this morning, this is the one thing that I want you to understand. The one thing that just that you should walk away with and remember this week, and that is that God has made you sons and daughters of the King. You see, it's not what you have done. It's not in what you haven't done. It's not about the guilt. It's not about the shame. It's not about the mistakes. It's not about the failures. It's not about the addictions. It's about what God has done for you that makes you a son and daughter of the king. But would that you and I would begin to view ourselves that way and live that way. I believe that there is hope there. I believe that there is a promise with that. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Because I think that there is a story in the Old Testament that I believe is a foreshadow of what it was that God was doing in our lives and wants to do in us through Christ. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we have a story of King David. Now David, if you know much about the Old Testament, David was this young shepherd boy who was overlooked by his father, wasn't considered to be significant by a prophet named Samuel, but God changed things for David. You see, when God wanted to appoint a king, the king at the time Saul had failed, and God wanted to appoint a king after his own heart. So he sent Samuel to this family. Jesse had several sons. He sent Samuel to this family and said, one of these boys is going to be king. And Jesse's, uh, David's own father, Jesse, never even called David to line up. He left him out in the field because he didn't believe that his youngest son was capable of this. Overlooked, undervalued. The prophet came along and he even saw one of David's uh, brothers and thought, surely this is the guy because he just looked like a king. And God corrected Samuel. And here's what he said. It's not, let me, we'll get to the second Samuel part. But in first Samuel, he says, God says to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. You stop there. God does not look at the things that people look at. People look at it the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so Samuel says to Jesse, do you have another boy? Oh yeah, he's out in the field. They call David in and he becomes anointed as king. David would have taken this experience with him that what God did for him had nothing to do with his abilities his appearance, his looks, even how his dad valued him. But it had everything to do with what God was doing for him. So later, Saul would die as king. He would be killed in a battle along with his son, Jonathan, who was to be king. And on the day that they both died in battle, Jonathan had a son at home, a small boy, And his caretaker was worried that they might try to kill him too. So she ran out of the palace and while she was running out of the palace, she fell. And she fell onto the child. 
and this young boy named Mephibosheth, say that several times, Mephibosheth wound up being crippled. There was a chance that he could have been king. He was in the line of the kings. But because of being crippled, he could not be a commander of the army. There was no way that he could ever be king. Those who were crippled were not allowed into certain places any longer in the temple. They were imperfect. There were places he was not allowed to go because of his physical illness, his disability. Mephibosheth's identity was wrapped up into this one event that changed everything for him. And the only thing that he saw himself as was a cripple. But years later, David would become king and he would settle into ruling the northern and the southern kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And one day he felt led to say, is there, any, is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can show kindness to? And somebody said, oh yeah, there's this one. His name is Mephibosheth, but he's a cripple. And David, in one act, does something that just as the one act of becoming a cripple changed his identity, David does something to change the identity of Mephibosheth. And here's the story in 2 Samuel chapter 9, beginning with verse 6. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied, don't be afraid. He had every reason to be afraid. When kings died, oftentimes their family died with them. They were killed off. But David says, listen, don't be afraid. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. David and Jonathan had a covenant that they would care for each other's families. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Notice his identity. Notice what he thought of himself, that he was no better than a dog, that everything that he was was wrapped up into his disability. And that's how he saw himself. But David wants to change that. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. Listen, I'm gonna call for your servants. They're gonna give you all your property. They're gonna grow the food. They're gonna provide for you. Mephibosheth, things are gonna change. And then he says, and Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. It's the second time we've heard this. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servants to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Don't miss that. The only people allowed to sit at the king's table were those who belonged to the king's family. There may have been an edict at different places, different times in this culture, where someone who was crippled was not allowed to even be in the palace. David 
changes everything for Mephibosheth. Says, not only am I gonna change things for you, you're gonna eat at my table. You are gonna be one of my family. You're one of my sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. His, his place in life was changed because he always ate at the king's table and his identity was changed in one act of love and graciousness from the king. The reason I tell you this story is because it's a beautiful foreshadow of what it is that God has been doing throughout history and what he has done for us in Christ. You see, the Old Testament promised that there would be an anointed one, a Messiah. It means to be king. That God was gonna send a king in the line of David who was gonna restore God's kingdom, who was gonna bring God's kingdom. And those who received the grace, the forgiveness, and aligned themselves, had an allegiance with God's kingdom, they had the right to become children of God, sons and daughters of a king. When Jesus died and rose again, he established a new kingdom and a new way for us to be forgiven, to be free, to have the sign that identifies ourself to be removed and replaced with one that simply says, son of the king, daughter of the king. It's, it's how God sees us, not how we see ourselves. And it's not something that we have done, it's something that the king has done for us. And in that one act of Jesus' resurrection, everything has changed. The scripture throughout the New Testament gives us stories of what this looks like for you and I. Listen to all these passages. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. John wanted to make it very clear. It's not something we have done. We weren't born with this. It's not a decision we get to make. It's something that God did for us through Jesus Christ. And when we receive his love and forgiveness, his grace, we have the right to be called children of God. Ephesians 1 for God, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. You see, when God sees us, he doesn't see uh, the shame. He doesn't see the sin. He sees holiness and blamelessness. He sees something different. In his love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. This is something God wants to do in our lives. He doesn't want that sign hanging around our neck. He wants us to live in freedom and enjoy and to see ourselves differently the way he sees us as sons and daughters. Galatians 3, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It's, it's by just believing in Christ and receiving his grace. For all of you who are baptized into Christ, you've clothed yourself with Christ. When, when God looks at us, he doesn't see, he doesn't see, see Thad. He doesn't see my failures. He sees Jesus. And some of us have self-talk that's not very good. 
And we put ourselves down all the time. I'm guilty of this. One of our staff members told me this week that they, they've put into practice a, a phrase whenever they're, they're feeling that way and putting themselves down and with that negative talk that Jesus would never say that about himself. God would never say that about Jesus. Think about that. When you are wrestling and you want to put yourself down and I am a horrible person, would God ever say that about Jesus? No. But that's how God sees us. He sees Christ in us. We are clothed with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Watch this. Paul says this is so powerful. Your identity isn't wrapped up into your race, into your profession, into your gender. Your identity is in Christ. You are sons and daughters of the King. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You have the hope of eternity. You have the promise of salvation. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven. I love that phrase. Now I got a driver's license that says Michigan, but that's not where my citizenship is. It's in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, you belong as a citizen of heaven. And here's the thing, that doesn't devalue your time here in the world. It actually raises the value of what you bring to our world because you are a member of the kingdom of God. And this world desperately needs people who are called out and who live as children, sons and daughters of the king. Our world needs the hope that only God can bring. And the reason we are here is because we bring value to the kingdom of heaven. And though our citizenship might be someplace else, God has called us here to be ambassadors for him. We are foreigners in a strange land. We are aliens here. But we are here because God values that. Some of us need to hear that this morning. We don't have less value. We have more value because of what God has given you and I. But I'll be honest with you, I struggle with this. I have for a long time. And I know I'm not the only one. Henry Nouwen, who is a great author, former priest, professor, has wrestled with this and this idea of identity. And here's what, here's what he has to say. He says, over the years, I've come to realize that the greatest trap in our lives is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. As soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I am rejected, left alone, or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves once again, I'm a nobody. My dark side says, I'm no good. I deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten, rejected, and abandoned. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life. It's a powerful statement. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. What is he trying to say? God has made you and I sons and daughters of the king. And the greatest barrier to us living this out 
is self-rejection. It's the invisible sign that's around our necks. And God wants us to remove that and he wants to call us beloved and he wants us to know that we are free and that we are sons and daughters of a king. And we can live that way. But Henry's not alone in this struggle. I'm not alone in this struggle. Martin Luther, who is the, the founder, we call him the father of the Reformation and, and uh, you know, has brought about change in our world when it comes to uh, evangelicalism, Protestantism. There was a time in his life where he would confess more than 20 times a day because he carried that guilt and that shame of things that he was doing. The first time he he had communion and shared communion. He trembled and shook so much some people could hardly take communion because he didn't see himself this way. I know it's a struggle. There was a time in my life, a journey for me that uh, on this that was a powerful experience. When I was in college, I took a self-assessment uh, of who I was and my value. And the professor called me into his office. I think I've shared this one other time. Called me into his office and said, Thad, we, we gotta talk. I don't think you can continue seminary. I don't think you can continue studying to be a pastor. I said, okay, what's the deal? You see, I'd scored myself so low on the test that they couldn't actually put me on the test. I was below any low average. And I knew this about myself because it's how I felt. It's what I thought of myself. And he said, you, 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 have to, you have to leave college and you've got to work on this. You've got to figure this out. I said, okay. Walked out of the office and thought, I'll try harder. And I did. And I took on the facade and I tried to prove that I was good, that I was better. I worked really hard at it. I accomplished many things. There were times when I saw people come to Christ and I would just be broken on my way back from doing an event where I just felt unworthy to even be a part of watching God do that for other people. I was 10 years into my ministry. We were several years into our church plant. We saw hundreds of people come to Christ. And I was driving home one day, listening to a song on the radio by Ronnie Freeman called Satisfied. In the song, I resonated with it because in the song, he, he talked about how he was satisfied with all that God had done in his life, his forgiveness, his grace, everything that God had done, and he was satisfied with who God was. But then the chorus was what wrecked me every time I heard it. Because the chorus was a plea, it was a cry that simply said, and Lord, may you be satisfied with me. And I had never felt that. But something happened that day. One of the only times I've ever heard a voice while the song was playing, I heard God say, I'm satisfied with you. You are, you are good, and you're my child. 
I was less than a mile from home. I pulled off into this parking lot. I could take you there today. I pulled off into this parking lot and I just wept because it was the first time in my life that I had experienced this verse in Romans 8, that the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It was a moment where God's spirit said to me, you're my child. You're a son of the king. And I'll be honest with you, things changed for me that day. Doesn't mean I don't struggle. Doesn't mean that I, I don't wrestle with this, but I can go back to this and go, you know what? I know that sign that's around my neck, but I also know that the spirit that lives in me is greater than that. And that I can see myself the way that God sees me as a son of the king. Not because of who I am, what I've done, my looks, my profession, my whatever has nothing to do with that identity. It has everything to do with how God sees me. And it's freeing. It gives victory over sin. It gives uh, joy and peace when things are falling apart. When people say critical things and you, you feel the pressure to be something that you're not, it just relieves that, it lifts those burdens. Because the one thing that is the most valuable to you is being a son and daughter of the king. Not because of who you are, but because of what God has done for you. You are a son and a daughter of the king. Several years ago, I read the book. I actually read it before my experience called uh, Out, Out From the Darkness or Victory Over Darkness by Neil Anderson. And in that book, he describes our assurance and our significance, our security that comes from being a child of God and that we can have victory over those signs that kind of hang around our neck of shame. And so we've put the, the verses and the words on our app. If you, if you go to the app on your phone, it just simply says sons and daughters. It's on the main page. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you don't have the app, we actually have copies out in the lobby at the connection point, but it's simply our statements about who you are in Christ. Not because of what you've done, but because of what God has done for you. And I want you to know, if you struggle with this, if you wrestle with this, if you identify with that invisible sign that hangs around your neck and you are wanting freedom, I am gonna pray that not only you comprehend, but that you begin to experience by his spirit, you begin to experience the freedom and the understanding, the knowledge that you are a son and daughter of the king. So I want you to take those, read them this week, as often as you want, when you're feeling like you're struggling with this, pull those out and begin to read all of the promises of what God says you are and begin to see yourself the way that God does. So let me pray for us as we go on this journey. Lord, thank you. Thank you that our identity is not wrapped up in the way that we look or the profession that we have especially not our failures, our brokenness, our sin. But God, who we are is completely wrapped up 
and who Christ is and what he has done for us. And so right now, I pray in this space, whether it's those who are joining online or here, God, that right now your spirit would testify with our spirit, that we would hear a whisper, a shout, a tap on the shoulder that simply says, you are good. You're my child. And God, that we would see signs removed from our lives and we would see that our assurance, our security, our significance comes from you. God, may we live that way, knowing that it's not because of who we are, but because of what you have done for us in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.